Listener Production. Hello, Tom Tilly with you for this episode of The Briefing, joined by Rihanna Patrick. And Rihanna, this is a wild interview we're doing today. It's about turning the tattoos of dead family members into art. Yeah, and while it might not be everyone's cup of tea, it's a memorial trend in the US and in a number of other countries now. And you'll meet the guy who started Save My Ink Forever. They'll have it in their wall or someplace special to them. Um, We've gotten photos of like, I don't want to say like shrines, but kind of like memorial walls that people have put up where they have, you know, the photos of the individual alongside the tattoo. Crazy stuff. Imagine that, a picture of your face and next to it, some of your skin preserved with a tattoo. Amazing. Preserving the tattoos of loved ones. That is our briefing first. Here are today's big headlines. It is Friday, the 28th of October. The Bruce Lehrman sexual assault case will be retried and the date is set for February 20 next year. This comes after yesterday's dramatic revelation where the jury was dismissed because one juror was caught undertaking their own research into the case. This paper turned up when they were cleaning the court and this research paper had not been admitted into evidence. And the Chief Justice, Lucy McCallum, told the jury... I have heard an explanation, and it may be that no harm was done, but that is not a risk I can take. It's after the jury spent four days deliberating without being able to reach a unanimous verdict. And also yesterday, comments made by Brittany Higgins outside the court after this all happened, uh, where she was critical of the justice system, have been referred to the Australian Federal Police by Bruce Lehrman's lawyers, saying her words could prejudice a fair trial. Lehrman is accused of sexually assaulting Higgins in Parliament in 2019. He's pleaded not guilty and has been granted bail until the retrial in February. A voluntary buyback scheme is being offered to flood-ravaged communities in the northern rivers of New South Wales. So the federal and state governments have announced $800 million to buy back homes at pre-flood prices. Yeah, the money will also go towards raising houses and retrofitting and all up will help around 2,000 households. So 1,300 properties in the Northern Rivers were badly damaged in the floods in February and March and another 5,000 suffered minor to moderate damage. So a lot of those people will be getting a helping hand and there are still around 1,000 people in emergency housing in that area. Opposition leader Peter Dutton has delivered his budget reply, calling the budget a missed opportunity to help Australians struggling with cost of living pressures, and he's also defended the former government's economic legacy. When you hear Labor's spin, when you hear them carry on about a wasted decade, it's a distraction from the fact that this government has no economic plan. Dutton said he will support Labor's policy on expanding childcare subsidies and reducing pharmaceutical benefit co-payments. Um, So those are some small cost of living um, relief measures that Labor are promising. Um, He didn't take a position on the paid parental leave extension to 26 weeks. And he went really hard on the government for the rising cost of electricity bills. And I think that's probably on a political level where 
it will get more traction in the coming months and years, Rihanna, because people aren't going to be happy about their power bills going up that much. No, and they had hoped that, you know, they were promised that it would go down by $275. Mm. Um, And he also went to pains to point out that that was set on 97 occasions Mm. uh, by Albanese. So I think he's really found uh, the thing that I guess a lot of us are thinking about, particularly if you're hoping for that $275 discount. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much a broken election promise. So that's one of the first really negative things the government is going to have to try and explain. I don't know how they explain it. The other news in federal politics is that Labor's new industrial relations laws have been introduced to Parliament. So this is the legislation that will allow multi-employer bargaining. Uh, And this is part of the other big promise from Labor, which was to get real wages going up. We also learned in the budget that won't be happening for at least a year. So that's another promise they're struggling on as well. The Socceroos are the first World Cup team to publicly criticise Qatar's human rights record less than a month from the start of the tournament. They've released a video message featuring 16 players. As players, we fully support the rights of the LGBTI plus people. But in Qatar, people are not free to love the person that they choose. Addressing these issues is not easy and we do not have all the answers. It also highlighted um, the oppressive conditions migrant workers face in Qatar. Um, thousands of people have actually died whilst helping to build the stadiums, which is a pretty uncomfortable situation. What do you think of this, Rihanna? The Socceroos obviously don't feel strong enough to boycott the World Cup, but they felt strong enough to make this video. What do you think? I think when sport uses its highly influential platform to say something, it's always a good thing. And I think... You know, I'm always aware that people have their reasons for speaking out, but people then also have their reasons for why they need to play uh, and whether that's because they need to, they need the money to be able to pay their bills. Uh, I'm not one to say you should do either or. I think it's whatever you want to do as a player, but, you know, I guess – it's when people choose to use these platforms that sometimes we can see real change happen or we can see this more public discussion happen. And I guess if it wasn't for players taking a stand, we wouldn't know the names of Colin Kaepernick or Eric Reid as NFL players, would we? Yeah, well, I think in this case, you know, it doesn't have to be one or the other. So it doesn't have to be a boycott or shut up and play. Um, in this case, they're, they're doing both. They're playing, but they are raising the issues that concern them. So I actually think this is a pretty reasonable way to, to deal with it, even though I understand the criticisms. Well, you know, you feel strong enough to say it, but you're still going to turn up and essentially validate this competition in this country that you're so critical of. Missing the World Cup would be a huge cost to Australian soccer, and obviously they're not prepared to do that. There's an official release date for Prince Harry's memoir titled Spare. It'll come out January 10 next year, promising to be filled with raw, unflinching honesty. Spare. Interesting title. Yes, Spare, Tom, as in the air and the spare, and clearly Harry is the spare. Right. So this is an old saying that the monarchy needs an air and a spare in case the air dies and you have a spare? Correct. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> spare. It's just, I just looked at it's it and It's an went, odd title. <laughs> yeah, spare. Like, is he a bit, you know, not all there mentally or what, what's going on there? So um, this is the memoir that was meant to come out around about next month, but was pushed back because of the Queen's passing. So yeah, it's going to come out January 10, just before my birthday, if you want to buy it for me as a birthday present. I do love Prince Harry. I've made though- a note. 
Anyway, he's going to give some of the proceeds of the book to children's charities. Um, I think somewhere between one and two million dollars. I think it'll make a lot more than that. So they're obviously going to keep some of it to keep paying for the cost of living in LA. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting. A raw, unflinching, honest account. I think we've heard a fair bit from Harry already, but um, it'll be interesting to see how he pieces it together in a memoir. Will you read it? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of closeted monarchists right here. Uh-oh. All right. In a moment, we're talking about preserving the tattoos of former loved ones. Rihanna, you brought this idea of preserving tattoos to us. How did you come across this? Is this something you were thinking about or what the hell? Look, it's one of those places that I find myself in deep in the internet. (laughs) And I found it very interesting that this is what people were choosing to do. I don't have tattoos, but I can understand that it might be something that when someone passes on, you might want to remember them by their tattoo. Yeah, well, it sounds right out there, but people have done all kinds of things throughout history to remember their loved ones, right? They've even built pyramids in Egypt, for example. So, you know, preserving a tattoo, not a bad idea. It seems like a smaller thing. (laughs) (laughs) So let's find out how this works. There's a guy in America you're about to meet. His name is Kyle Sherwood. He comes from a long line of morticians, three generations. Yeah, incredible. So he's doing this for a living. He started an organization called Save My Ink Forever. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us. Where did this idea of preserving tattoos of our dead loved ones come from? So I myself am actually a a mortician. Basically, along with that, we have a wide variety of friends. And uh, having the wide variety uh, means you get some interesting questions because anything death related, uh, you know, they naturally come to us. Uh, so we were out uh, one night having a, a few uh, drinks, you know, because no uh, good story starts with so I had a salad. But, you know, we were out having a few drinks <laughs> and uh, our buddy comes up to us and he goes, hey, man, you know, I've got this tattoo that I'd really I'd really like uh, preserved. You know, can it be done? And we kind of, you know, laughed about it a little bit. And he's like, no, I'm serious. I'm serious. And we're like, OK, we'll get back to you. We'll, you know, we'll look into it. So we started kind of looking into it. And uh, we're like, well, you know, tattoos, um, you know, there's a lot of people in the the world that have tattoos. I mean, I myself have, you know, quite a few tattoos and they're very meaningful to me. And then so we were kind of like thinking like in our funeral background, we're like, you know, that would kind of create a, a cool memorial keepsake. You know, people are doing crazy things with ashes and funeral industries become, you know, about celebrating someone's life and tattoo would make a cool uh, memorial keepsake so bottom line it started off with uh, someone wanting it done and us having a few drinks <laughs> i mean kyle um why are people choosing do you think to remember a loved one in this way well you know it's it's interesting and every and that's kind of the beauty about tattoos you know because every tattoo has its own story every tattoo has its own meaning and the meaning behind those tattoos to each individual is so drastically different. So it's kind of cool to hear those stories and hear what these tattoos mean to them. You know, your loved one is used to seeing those every day on you. So when they get the the tattoo back, you know, they kind of have that visualization, you know, that that 
piece of them that they were used to seeing every day, they can still see. And, and I think that has a, a lasting impact to, you know, a lot of people. Okay. So Kyle, tell us how you actually preserve a tattoo. What is the process? Well, so the tattoo is surgically uh, excised by the embalmer. Uh, we have an instructional video for the embalmer to watch and they ship it back to us in one of the kits that we send to them. Uh, the tattoo goes into a dry preservative, which keeps it safe until uh, it reaches us where the preservation process takes place. And I can't really go into detail, uh, but <laughs> the preservation process takes roughly three months to complete. From there, we do um, archival framing, so UV protective glass, all up to museum standard quality. Um, and in our package, we have three different frames that you can choose from. Uh, black, gold, silver, which fit most, uh, you know, people's wants. Uh, but if they want something custom, we have that available. So, you know, any ornate design, any custom color, we have that available. And then from there, we send it back to the family or the funeral home to present to the family. So the whole process uh, from start to finish with preservation takes roughly three and a half months to complete. Okay, so back to the start of that. When when it's being removed by the embalmer, how much of the, the skin and the flesh or, you know, do they take or do they, if it's a, on, say, someone's bicep, do they take the whole arm? I mean, how much do they dig up? No, 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 no. no. So, so we, we are only after the uh, dermis, which is the fancy word for the layers of the skin. So we don't want any muscle. We don't take anything more than what we need. In fact, the less you take, the better uh, results. So we're actually only after the skin, uh, the dermal area, and we only take the amount of skin that is necessary for uh, our preservation process. So we um, aren't mutilating anybody. We're only taking, you know, the portion of the, the tattoo that the family is requesting. So, Kyle, what is demand been like? Uh, well, just like any business, uh, it started off kind of slow. But once, uh, you know, we kind of got the word going, um, you know, we were featured in some articles uh, in Vice, in Inc. Magazine. So once that kind of word got out, it has drastically uh, helped business. And now that people are finding out about it, you know, we're doing a few hundred tattoos a year at this point. So Kyle, what do the families do once they get these preserved tattoos? Do they, do they have to put them in the fridge? Do they go on the wall? What happens? Keep it out of the bathtub, uh, you know, that's for sure. Um, but no, so basically they are um, taking the frame. They'll have it in their wall or someplace special to them. Um, we've gotten photos of like, I don't want to say like shrines, but kind of like memorial walls that people have put up where they have, you know, the photos of the individual alongside the tattoo. We've seen all kinds of things. We had the uh, almost a full body suit uh, that we had done um, in Canada. That gentleman was actually a tattoo artist, and the wife uh, of the gentleman would actually go to tattoo shows uh, throughout Canada, tattoo conventions, and would bring the tattoos to display. You know, some people want these pieces in museums. So what they do with it, you know, is ultimately up to them and, you know, how they want to memorialize that person. Carl, is there a tattoo on a certain part of the body that you wouldn't even consider preserving? <laughs> uh, yeah. Hmm. So uh, to kind of maintain dignity of things, uh, of course, we will not preserve uh, any genital-related uh, tattooed areas, and we won't do full face tattoos. Uh, one of the things in our process that we've kind of done is 
the tattoo or the skin itself ends up looking kind of more like parchment uh, versus actual skin. And we take pride in the fact that you could, you know, walk by one of these pieces of art and you wouldn't necessarily know it's skin. So for that reason, um, again, we want to maintain the dignity of what we're doing and try not to add any kind of sideshow elements to it where we have, you know, genitals displayed or a full face displayed. Yeah, I guess there is a bit of a sensitivity in your line of work, right, Kyle? I mean, yeah, yeah. You know. I mean, it, it, it is a, a line of sensitivity. I mean, with what we're doing, you know, it's it's a love hate. You either love it or you hate it. But our kind of take on it is, if we're not hurting anybody, what's the problem? If if the family wants it done, who are we to say that they can't have it done? But along with that, you know, we do have our limits. We do have kind of certain things that. You know, we say we wouldn't do and, you know, genital preservation is, is one of those. We, we, we draw the line there. Would you ever want your family to preserve your tattoos when you're gone? Uh, well, that's not going to be up to me, but I already know that my family uh, does want some of my tattoos. Um, I have a, believe it or not, <laughs> it's not weird, but I have um, an embalming instrument tattooed on me and I have three identical embalming instruments tattooed on me. <laughs> Uh, along with um, my initials, my dad's initials, and my grandfather's initials. So uh, it's kind of like a morbid family crest because all three generations have used the same embalming utensil. So I know that they do want that one. You know, I'm not opposed to it. I don't mind it. You know, these tattoos that I've had, I've, I've worn proudly. You know, I plan on getting a lot more work done by, you know, some very... Um, high-end artists that I consider to be, you know, modern-day Rembrandts and Picasso's of tattoos. I don't think they get the art credit that they deserve because their medium is, you know, skin and ink instead of ink and canvas. And so some of these tattoos that I plan on getting, you know, I wouldn't mind uh, sharing with others uh, even after I'm gone. Kyle, what do you think your grandfather would think about this work that you're doing preserving tattoos? <sighs> what would he think about it? That's a good question. Um, you know, I, I don't think he would mind. Uh, he was very understanding in the fact that, you know, uh, times change and not everything his parents did, he ended up doing. And likewise, um, you know, seeing my dad grow up, he realizes that, you know, there's different generations and different times for things. You know, I mean, you can even relate that to the tattoos themselves. Up until I think, you know, very recently, tattoos were kind of uh, looked at as taboo and they were banned in some places. And nowadays everybody has tattoos, you know, whether you're a doctor or you're a lawyer, um, you know, all walks of life. It's not just reserved for, you know, rebel culture anymore. You know, I think he would be proud to know that at least I'm stepping out of a comfort zone and I'm doing something not everyone has got to do. I guess the interesting thing about your family, um, Kyle, you know, three generations of morticians is that you've been around a lot of death. And I imagine, you know, given what you're doing is really helping people through that painful time, you've seen lots of different ways people want to go through that process and, and the different ways it works for different people. And in a way, preserving tattoos is just another example of that. Right. I, I mean, you go back into, uh, you know, times of how people memorialized. Um, you had the Victorians that would make, you know, jewelry out of hair, even down to, you know, ways of memorialization where, you know, mothers save pieces of umbilical cords or teeth 
Um, people get ashes turned into diamonds. I can't tell someone how to grieve and what's going to make them feel better. So the gratitude that we get from people that say, you know, oh my God, I'm so happy, you know, that we have this peace, you know, I couldn't imagine being given an urn back and saying, this is your husband, or I couldn't imagine visiting a headstone and saying, this is where your son's at, you know, whereas with the tattoo, it's the actual piece of them. And we've had people say, you know, it feels like they're home, that they're with us because we have this art that we see of theirs every day. That was Kyle Sherwood from Save My Ink Forever. I think this kind of makes a lot of sense, Rihanna. It just depends if the tattoo is any good. Well, that's it. And it might not be everyone's idea of doing something like that. But I think if the tattoo is the way that you will remember someone and it's significant to that person, then it might be something that you might want to do. All right, that is it for your Monday to Friday briefing. What a way to finish. Um, Hope you've had an amazing week. Uh, You'll have the weekend briefing in your feed tomorrow with Jamila Rizvi. Jamila, who are you speaking to this week? I am psyched to let you know that this weekend I've chatted to Ryan Shelton, who is, of course, a hugely successful comic, writer, actor, radio, TV presenter, all the things. But I got to delve into a different side of this really hilarious guy. We talked about creativity, we talked about honesty and vulnerability, and we talked about what it's like to be one of those people who is always pushing for the next thing, that is so focused on your own success that you almost don't get to enjoy it because as soon as it comes, you want to try something more. And we sort of had a reflection that even if you got everything you ever wanted in life, would you ever be content? It's a really good episode. Mm, Yeah, that is an easy trap to fall into. Sometimes you really need to stop and just be thankful or or have gratitude for what you have in life. Um, That sounds like a really good chat. Looking forward to that. Um, A huge shout out to the hardworking team here at The Briefing that make this podcast possible. And a big shout out to you. Thank you so much for listening. Um, If you're enjoying The Briefing, please make sure you subscribe in your podcast app and tell your friends. I'll catch you Monday. Listener.